0: This is Artist Stories, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. I'm your host, Ava Romero. Today, I'm with Lisa Bowden, Executive Director of Core Press Institute. Welcome, Lisa.
1: Hey, Ava. Thanks for having me today.
0: Lisa, could you begin by telling us about Notes from the Motherfield Live.
1: First off, the concept of the Motherfield was coined by Joy Harjo, our uh, amazing U.S. Poet Laureate, and it refers to the imaginal colliding that happens in the space called the Motherfield where only truth exists, somewhere between grief and beauty, the ineffable and mundane boundlessness and numbing routine. Somewhere in there lies a sacred and profane space. So I was really captivated by that concept, especially when I became a mother eight years ago as a big fan of Joy Harjo and somebody who has worked with her before. I was really taken by that concept. And we started uh, a column in our newsletter at the time called Notes from the Mother Field. And so taking it off the screen and onto the stage was a very intentional move that we did last year. So it's now become the storytelling series that we host every other month. And so really it's a space, originally it was a space for personal essays by mothers who write We've been particularly interested in the gnarly truths of what it means to wrestle with both the pressures and demands of um, having and raising children and the demands of staying true to a creative, activist, scholarly, or leadership, self, or professional life as well. So uh, we're into real talk, uh, myth busting. Um, Essentially, the kind of work that pulls the veil way back uh, for full reveals, which as mothers, we need a megadoses really to counter dominating monoculture <laughs> that surrounds us that can easily eat you whole if you aren't pushing actively against it uh, to keep things real. And so we do that out loud with each other. You know, we really, as I said, wanted to pull it off the screen. We spend so much time on our screens uh, communicating, so to speak, um, doing our work, and it's really isolating, and so it's been a very intentional act to do this work live, you know, with some coaching and some rehearsing beforehand, but really we ask these women to stand on stage and share a story with 100 people in a room for 10 minutes or so, as if they were talking to a friend. And so it creates a sense of intimacy and kind of sacred space opens up when we're sitting there li- just listening, really, uh, and leaning in. And that, again, is also very intentional. We do this work at the Jewish History Museum, which is a space of anti-oppression and making connections and so we're super proud of that partnership so what happens in that room has become pretty magical especially when people are sharing things that they may not have talked about a lot before but there's that sort of burning need to say and speak out loud and so it can bring people to an edge you know to be that vulnerable and it's also super empowering I think both for the audience members and the tellers to share that space together of being vulnerable and getting that sense of courage and bravery and power in saying what's real and true in a kind of artful way.
0: So I understand that every show in the series so far has sold out.
1: Uh, Just about. I think our first one maybe wasn't quite sold out. We really didn't know what that meant (laughs) the first time we opened those doors. But it was a pretty packed house. And since then, yeah, the shows are sold out with waiting lists.
0: Would you be able to share maybe a short version of one or two of the stories?
1: Uh, There's so many amazing stories We have six tellers at each event, and we've had four events. So we've been cultivating quite a roster of amazing stories and storytellers. And with that, you know, we are actively building community um, for radical moms who are into, you know, myth busting the concepts of motherhood that are not healthy for anybody. So recently, Lane Santa Cruz took the stage um, and talked about um, how as a mother you are the site of life. Uh, your body is not solely your own and how much, how big a toll kids can take and how sometimes you just want a decent pair of underwear and adult conversation <laughs> <laughs> she was very, she's very interested in decolonizing sex, decolonizing the body, women's bodies. Um, so so we are in control. To quote her, she said, after four children and two baby da- daddies, I wanted a wife. <laughs> and she, she really um, conveyed that sense of living a radical, sovereign, fierce truth as somebody who's recently stepped into the public eye and to just keep doing that despite what the the gossip mills may may churn out.
0: And just to clarify, Lane Santa Cruz is a instructor at the University of Arizona with a PhD, and she's a new councilwoman, and she's a super activist, mm-hmm. and a really interesting figure who, yeah, has stepped into the public eye and into the limelight. So it's really exciting to see her do something like this, be so vulnerable in front of a a live audience at a moment where, you know, maybe she's starting to feel new scrutiny.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and as somebody who's uh, said she's always, you know, walked her own walk, um, independent of her family of origin and um, cultural expectations um, and how important it is for her to continue to do that as a public figure, and you know, as a mother. Uh, so another, another story that comes to mind. And there's again, there's so many. Um, but in the last telling session, Sarah Tarver Walquist talked about the big hole that is in her life where her mother used to be, and talking about how grief stricken she is still a decade later after her mother's passing and the kind of resentment that she held for women of a certain age who were were not her mother, (laughs) which those of us who are in her shoes can relate to that. I did, certainly. And she talked about how she was dissociating while being presented with a request for a do not resuscitate order for her mother when she was called to the hospital while she was nursing uh, a newborn baby and kind of what she went through to reconcile and continue to reconcile that deep loss for her and to be raising three children at the same time without a mother. Um, and she talked about if we could all love ourselves as fiercely we do our children, um, as fiercely some of how some of our mothers did us, we would be unstoppable. And um, that kind of radical love is actually a superpower. One other one I I would just toss out there is um, Grace Gomez talked about when dominant structures around us fail and perpetuate shame and disconnection, how do we speak the unspeakable, perhaps a violation of a child, and be kind to ourselves in the face of our own perceptions of failure? Really, where are our communities of care when we need them the most, and may be least able to ask for them, which is a super powerful message that I got from her story in a way because it asks for the thing that we are trying to do here in the mother field, which is um, building communities of care.
0: Before we move on, could you just tell us when the next show is gonna be?
1: Um, Friday, March 6th, doors open at 5.30, show starts at 6.00. It runs about an hour and a half, and it's followed by an awesome potluck. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> brings something for the potluck table, and it's um, 12 feet of goodness. So
0: Great. And we'll put the link to the Corey website on the KXCI page as well. So, Lisa, how do you curate each panel of storytellers? You have six different storytellers on stage in one show.
1: Well, that happens uh, in a couple of ways. You know, firstly, it was me thinking about the wide array of amazing, rad women writers and thinkers in our community who are also mothers. And so I started with folks we'd worked with recently. Some of those writers' work had been in the original Notes from the Motherfield column online, so I thought that was an interesting place to start. And then, yeah, we reached out to a wide array of mothers in our community and people who have who are familiar with Corey Press and who have worked with us. Always with an eye to keeping the storylines as complicated as possible and as varied and rich and deep and different as possible. And I say that to state the intention of you know, the curatorial intention of taking care in that, you know, rich, diverse way, which is an act of keeping things real, to my mind. And also to be asking all the tellers that um, do this work on the stage who they would like to see and who they recommend. And so that has become sort of a self-curating series through recommendations of, of people who are participating. Yeah, and talking to people, too. I mean, we just continue the conversation after the show. (laughs) We've really hit a nerve here, and it's exciting to feel this kind of momentum building on the ground in a way that says to us, this is something that's extraordinarily powerful and needed and the shows sell out really fast. <laughs> and, you know, we've talked about doing it in a larger space, but we are really committed to the intimacy that is created by a room full of 100 people, and that's it. We are recording the shows, and so we have a lot of audio, high-quality audio, that we're going to turn into a podcast. We do have video capture of most of the tellers, um, should be. Everybody agree to give their permission. So we extend our audience outside of that room, outside of that moment to realize how powerful those stories are and, and sharing them so that we can continue building those communities of care and inspire others to, you know, it's a way of giving permission to say, hey, you know, maybe I've been through that too. We are also having people that repeatedly come to the shows and saying, I want to tell my story. How do I tell my story? do you have workshops you know and so we're kind of following what the audiences are saying to us and what the community is expressing so
0: i was wondering if you could talk a little uh, more about that power of deep listening i've been at, at one of the shows and i definitely felt that there was so much intensity from not just the storytelling but also the listening together was creating this intensity and this power in in this shared space. What do you think about deep listening?
1: There's a transformative power and a healing that happens when you are on both sides of that, right? Like there's no need to insert yourself into a conversation. You're receiving somebody else's voice and their words and when that is so fully embodied the way it is on the stage when you stand there by yourself with only the microphone <laughs> you know it's you're kind of hanging yourself out there a little bit and translating that through through language and to be received that way is kind of a rare thing and we are inundated with messaging and messages and branding and communications and news and fake news that's entertaining or we all you know there's this sort of um you know cultivated need or desire or expectation to be entertained in a way and all that has such a rapidity to it and so to sit you know this is not a concert hall this is not a theater space I want to say it's not a church or a a sacred space, but it is that. I mean, it becomes that again, I think, with that kind of attention that is held and given. And so it's this very quiet receptivity and a patience and a humanity that I think comes from deep listening. And, you know, everybody there is leaning in with an open heart. How often do you get to experience that? you know, all those elements really speak to a need, I think, when people keep showing up for that. You know, there's, it's that sort of magic cocktail of, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. And absolutely, yes, I need to do, (laughs) I need to do this thing. So help me, (laughs) you know. And I think people feel that there's a palpable sense of, hey, I sense the magnitude of this thing that's being said by this person who's really stepping out a little bit. And, everybody's there to hold it and hold them so it's a it's a powerful kind of magic that's happening
0: and it's in that growth zone right of maybe I'm just uncomfortable enough to know that I'm growing from doing this or from just being here and listening but it's not so uncomfortable that I'm completely shut down Mm -hmm. right it's this specific zone where a lot of growth occurs and the invitation is to be vulnerable and to push the envelope and some of the stories may be even uncomfortable to hear or to listen to and there are strong emotions and then like you know crying in public always happens (laughs) (laughs) but that's the place right Mm -hmm. and and it's a place in which it's also done with a lot of solidarity and a lot of Mm -hmm. support and a lot of warmth I think there's so much that it points to, like you said, pr- hit a nerve. Lisa, could you tell us about maybe a signature project or two besides Motherfield Live that are emblematic of Cory Press Institute's mission?
1: There's a couple of projects I want to talk about that, you know, have some common threads or ingredients that are similar to the Motherfield, which is really about radically connected communities across differences, which is another way of talking about solidarity, you know, and we do that with literature, and we we always have. I mean, we started out as a feminist press uh, devoted to literature and women's voices, and that notion of publishing has always been an expanded one for us, meaning public discourse, you know, to publish something is to be a voice in the world in conversation with other voices, right? So so for us, that's also um, in terms of signature projects and expanded notions of publishing um, and using literature as a tool for radically connecting disparate communities. A recent sort of tour de force for us in terms of A book is Letters to the Future, Black Women Radical Writing, which we published last year after six years of incubation and work in collaboration with Don Lundy Martin and Erica Hunt, who are amazing intellectuals and artists and educators who collected this amazing grouping of work by black women who are dedicated to a kind of radical aesthetic or, or, or recognizing the concept of connect, making connections between language practices as forms of disruption of systems that are oppressive to sort of reduce it way down. Innovation, experimentation, radical acts on the page or on the stage, performative work, work, that is, you know, sound-based or primarily visual, any way to disrupt syntax and grammar and expectations as a way to say, you know, the status quo is killing us, that was an enormous labor of love (laughs) and an incredibly powerful and well-received, critically well-received nationally project. It's a powerful anthology. It's being taught. All over we brought a lot of these women in over the course of two years and uh, did work in the community we launched a micro exhibit at the Tucson Museum of Art and launched the book here in Tucson with four of the poets performing here and also recording them here at KXCI Uh, so we have a series of interviews that we we collected and some video as well so we also launched it in New York that same year. So super powerful, really meaningful work in a way that encapsulates 27 years of Corey Press Institute work in one volume. So
0: speaking of 27 years of Institute work, right, Corey has been an intersectional feminist press for a long time. I have to take advantage of this opportunity to ask you, Mm -hmm. looking back over Corey's history, where do you think feminisms in the United States are now? And where do you think we're going?
1: Yeah, that is a huge question. <laughs> and I'm so, even though with your pre- preamble, I am so not an expert or could speak to that <laughs> outside <laughs> of my own personal experience, of course. And I will say that as a white, cisgender, cisgendered, queer woman, there's no other feminism. Your feminism is... I don't think I can curse on the air, but it's intersectional. You have to be intersectional or go home. There's nothing, there's really nothing else to say about that. And it's definitely moved in that direction for quite some time. And there's still a lot of, of course turf wars and, you know, privilege that happens that blinds people in feminist circles, uh, you know, historically and ongoingly, of course. And I really appreciate you talking about multiple feminisms. We need to keep it in the multiple always. You know, my personal version of that has been to think about the margins always and to Acknowledge that oppressions are multiple and linked and embodied in so many different ways, and that no one is free until we're all free, period. (laughs) And so, Cory Press institutes intersectional feminism. And I, you know, I know that word is problematic for a lot of people because it's been, you know, divorced from its. Uh, legal origins and academic origins, but it's it's a short way of saying that our, our endeavors have to be collaborative, you know, to work against anti-blackness, to work against anti-Semitism, to work for indigenous rights, border rights, trans and gender spectrum rights. It's, you know, we're all embodied so differently and truly no one is free until we're all free. So,
0: One last question, Lisa, if I may. I'd like to ask you to indulge us with a little bit about your own trajectory as a writer, activist, and mother.
1: Yeah, that's the one I I always tend to have the shortest answers for, I think, because ironically, I'm a very private person. (laughs) And I'm also, you know, have built a career on centering other people's voices. And I... Came from a large family, and I was the youngest. Um, And so I think my activism started at the dinner table of seven, where I spilt my milk repeatedly every 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 night. You know, I was very young child, but I cleaned up my own mess every time. And I think I, I was always struggling to have my voice heard. Literally, you know, and we were a big family with not a lot of resources. And so competition for resources, including vocalizing (laughs) opinions or even just any kind of vocalization, you know, being the smallest body in the house uh, that was pretty chaotic and then divided. My activism is very much ingrained in my cellular structure as a kind of way of needing to be in the world so as not to be erased by the numbers. And that extended extended out to a more public kind of activism my whole life, actually, you know, standing up for other people and kind of what was right and always looking at justice in a very personal way and extending that out into my own communities that I've inhabited. And so, um, and I've always been a writer um, and I'm getting to a point and I've, so I've written poetry and outside of institutions, very intentionally stayed and remained in the community as a writer. And so, you know, I do grant writing and I write press releases and, (laughs) you know, I I also write interviews and I have used social media as kind of a personal platform for my, my own voice. But I say all this just to also hold space, more space for myself and my creative work and my own voice.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap? I love KXEI
1: <laughs> so much. Yeah, I've lived in Tucson 38 years. I'm I'm I am a fourth generation Bowdoin, uh that was born in New York, and um, came out here uh, after high school um, to head west and um make my own way in the world in this beautiful weird place and have always enjoyed and supported and loved community radio. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Well community radio is richer because of you. So thank you for being on today. Sure of course. This has been Artist Stories with Ava Romero, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County.